Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, glad to be with you today. My name is Ryan, your In Doubt host, and this week we're listening to a conversation that I had with Andy Steiger. Andy is the young adults pastor at Northview Community Church, which is in Abbotsford, British Columbia, but he's also the founder and director of Apologetics Canada. We've recently had conversations that surround the question of identity, and Apologetics Canada recently released their film, The Human Project. They asked four main questions, and the question that I was really drawn to was, who am I? I was able to talk with Andy about human identity, value, and where the darkness of humanity really begins to creep in. Take a listen. Okay, welcome to this episode of In Doubt, and today we have a special guest. His name is Andy Steiger. Andy has a new video series out called The Human Project, which teaches on some of the foundational questions of what it means to be human, how we value humanity and human life, and what it looks like for humans to live their best life. And he is currently working on his PhD from Aberdeen University in Scotland and has spoken on matters of faith and life all around the world. Andy, it's great to have you. Thanks. It's good to be with you. Really good to have you. So Andy, could you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to? Yeah, I, well, I've been doing my PhD for a number of uh, years now. I'm just, I'm into, I'm heading into my fourth year, so I'm almost done. And the, and the topic I've been working on is not not so much the dehumanization portion in my PhD work, but more the humanization, which is interesting because most of the research I've done into dehumanization tends to be able to identify the problem, but most of them, most of the works I've gone through doesn't really have a solution to the problem. They can just identify it. And so as Christians, we're in a unique position where we're able to demonstrate not only what dehumanization is, but, you know, what does humanization look like and how it can answer a lot of the questions and the concerns that we see going on in our culture. So for me, where this, you know, this project just means a lot to me is, you know, we can look back and and see how people have gotten the question of humanity wrong, and we can see the implications of that. And as you look at that historically, I mean, horrible implications of what takes place when people don't see each other correctly. And this goes all the way back to Aristotle and the way that he saw people that that led, you know, to justification for the slave trade, you know, that, that brought us into modern times. And you know, all the way back then, you know, equating and dehumanization, just to be specific, happens in one of two ways, either by equating a person as an animal or an object. And so back with the slave trade, it had a foundation with Aristotle. You know, it went farther than that, but we see it well articulated in him with just equating that there's some people that are, you know, better than other people. You know, that there are some that are, that are more uh, akin to an animal. And so then when somebody's viewed as an animal, they're treated as an animal. And so that's the kind of thing that we, what we've seen historically and where I get passionate about the human project is I see a lot of the mistakes we've made in the past happening in the present. And these need to be addressed and addressed quickly uh, because they, they spiral out of control. 
and be and when dehumanization takes place, uh, violence you know ensues, and and we see that we've seen that consistently. We're even seeing that right now with what's going on in Myanmar currently. You know, it's just been recently being declared a, a genocide that's taking place there against the Muslim people uh, from the the Buddhists. And it's interesting because Facebook is the catalyst the, of what's going on there. A nation that you know didn't really have cell phones, didn't really have internet connection, not you know not that many years ago. All of a sudden, they get that, they get access to to Facebook, and now all of a sudden, it's it's become not just a means of you know checking out what your friends up to, but a means of uh, communicating a hatred for a specific people, and it has led quickly to violence. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm really intrigued about what you just mm-hmm. said there, even about how so often it's easy to, to identify the problem but not to provide a solution. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so common that in our, in our natural tendency, we want to um, point the finger. But the real challenge comes when it says, what's the solution? What's the way forward? And so the Human Project has received, uh, there's a, uh, some, a film series that has been reviewed in Christian and non-Christian environments and has won some awards. Yeah. Why is that? So the Human Project has been in a number of film festivals this last year around the world. So it's been in the Human Rights Film Festival in Barcelona, for example. It's been in a number of film festivals uh, throughout the United States, Canada. And yeah, we've won a number of awards uh, from Christian film festivals and non. So in a non-Christian film festival, the Compassion Film Festival, we won People's Choice Award, which is, I think, a really cool award. Another one that we won was Best Short Film of the Year. Uh, and, and that's another, like, I, I'm amazed, you know, like we were excited just to get into these film festivals, right. let alone to start winning was, was unreal. And the film, what, basically what's winning is the Human Project is a two-part series in that there's four questions, but in each question they're broken up into two parts. So we raise the question, such as what is human, and then we answer the question. And so we traveled around the world, places like Africa and and South Korea. We were in Canada, the United States, you know, filming these short films that raise the question. And it's particularly the one on what is human that we filmed in Uganda uh, that's won the most awards. The one in Korea has also been uh, in a number of film festivals as well. Mm -hmm. And so why why are these videos winning these awards? What what is the, the people that are watching them finding so captivating, so inviting? I think that we're clearly hitting, uh, you know, a nerve with the culture and, uh, you know, we're scratching an itch, if you, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding is, is that as we play these, these short films, and particularly that, you know, actually all of them have really resonated with people. Because even, even the one that we did on What's the Value of Human Life, we filmed that with a girl that has cerebral palsy. And just talking about where do I locate my value if, if I, you know, with this girl who, who can't even run or jump. And, you know, we tend in our culture today to play very much a comparison game, you know, and we'll try to find our value in what I call the career caste system or accomplishment climbing. But, man, if you're not able to do that, it all of a sudden becomes a real challenge to identify where does your value lie. Let me give you an example, too, that, that really struck me recently. I was at one of our local universities speaking uh, on the topic of human value. And a girl that is at the university that's blind came up to me afterwards, and she was in tears as she was talking about how meaningful this conversation is to her and how much angst she feels as a person with disability. You know, there's a lot of people in our culture today, you know, they're hearing the messages that are being talked about in the movies that are coming out. 
in which they're, they're feeling as though they're a burden to society. And there's many of them that are fearful. They're fearful of what's going to happen to me if I, you know, as I feel more and more like a burden, mm-hmm. that it takes money and time and, and people to care for me or help me. Am I really valuable in this culture today? Right. And so this is an important message, I think, for a variety of people to wrestle with and to, and to hear, and that we as a culture really need to understand. And so I feel like there is an interest to understand these questions out there because people are feeling the effects of the different ways that we devalue one another. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, again, your thoughts on how this creeps into modern thought. Like, how does objectification and dehumanization where does that creep in? You know, for somebody who has a disability, they might be thinking, I'm afraid because I don't want to be treated a certain way because I'm... Devalued. Yeah, or devalued. Um, but then also, where does it creep into the, let's call them the average Joe, you know, who's maybe just living their life and, and they suddenly, you know, it's not like everyone's just like, oh, I'm going to go murder someone. However, the steps towards genocide, like they happen somewhere. And it begins at some place. And so I'm curious your thoughts, like where does that slippery slope start? Honestly, it starts all the way at the beginning with with children. There's a book out, by the way, that just a a key example of a dehumanization. And it was sponsored by the Canadian government of all things. And it's a children's book. You can find it at your local library that's called You Are Stardust. Mm -hmm. And it's this children's book that I remember finding with my kids. And we were reading through this book because my kids love space right now. And so they thought this would be a cool book. And so we're flipping through this reading together. This was a couple years ago. And this book basically explains to our children that they are made of carbon. Carbon's made from dying stars. And thus they are stardust, as Carl Sagan famously concluded. Now, the problem is that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. And so your your child is left going, okay, I'm cosmic dirt, (laughs) right? But the, you know, the reality is you and I would never want our children to be treated that way, nor to treat anyone else that way. You can't end there. Now, the part that gets concerning for me is, you know, how, how are you going to answer that question? You know, am I more than stardust, though? Right? Because we would agree with their conclusion. Of course, we're made of carbon. Carbon is made from dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But I'm clearly more than stardust. Right? So what is that? So I actually wrote a book in response to this called What Am I? in which I seek, it's a children's book, in which I seek to answer this question that I'm more than stardust. And then in fact, we define a thing not by its parts, but by the purpose of the whole. You find this with anything. I think I saw you have a machine on your wrist. And if I asked you what it was, you know, no one would go, oh, hey, do you like my glass, plastic and metal? Isn't it great? (laughs) You know, you never define it by its parts. You would say, oh, it's a watch, you know, know, because you define it by its purpose. And so I wrote a book that said, what if we look at a human being that way? Right. And the human project is very much centered on this. What if we take a bigger look at what it means to be human, not just our parts? You know, that's objectification. But what does it look like when I see the whole of me as a human being? What's my purpose as a human? Now, that, though, is a conversation that starts to make our culture feel uncomfortable because that is a conversation that has to go beyond physics. It has to go beyond, you know, the hard sciences, which this gets interesting, by the way, and starts to creep into engineering. Right. Notice that there's a difference between the physicist and the engineer. You know, one's studying the parts, the other one's manipulating those parts into a purposeful whole. When we look at a human being, we see something that's engineered, which raises questions of, well, what's the purpose that I was created for? Now, there's some people that obviously would conclude on, say, an atheistic 
worldview that there is no purpose, right? And then it becomes very reductionistic and that you and I are just parts. And I think that's one of the reasons why our culture is concerned is they're starting to realize that secular ideologies are inherently dehumanizing. And this becomes problematic. So what I'm seeing in a lot of authors is they're recognizing that that's a problem. And there's this kind of desire to, how do you fix that? It's going to be metaphysical to fix that. You have to take a bigger view, a, a holistic view. And so that's where I think, again, coming back to as a Christian, we have a unique and important place in our culture to answer these questions. And by the way, we have historically done so. Christianity is a historically humanizing religion. Not to say that we haven't gotten it wrong in the past. They have. But it's often, and this is interesting as well, it's often when Christians have gotten it wrong in the past that Christians were the first to challenge them about getting it wrong in the past and that this needs to be remedied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I even find that very interesting because, you know, common worldviews, even that are prevalent today, are a hedonistic style of living. You know, how am I going to live to enjoy life because, you know, there is no purpose in life, you know? And then we think, well, if life and joy comes from satisfying my desires, well, maybe I'll just satisfy mine over satisfying or helping somebody else. And so then it just shifts towards, again, who has the power in society. And those are typically people who are able to, you know, work and be creative and go to school and get good jobs and then build up themselves. And then the people on the wayside are the ones that are subjugated and objectified. And then there's that mentality of feeling, am I a tax on society? And we see this, I mean, we don't have to go too far back, right, into uh, the last century where we see a lot of that coming up with Nazism and, hey, there's the, there's people in our world that are a burden on us. Let's just remove them as a whole. Yeah. And if, and if we could just, let's just take that one for an example. This is an important area that a lot of people in the West or particularly in North America, they kind of think that, oh, our history is pretty good. We've gotten it. We've gotten it right. It's those Nazis that are the problem. But what they don't realize is what you just brought up, eugenics, which is Greek for being well-born, that started in the United States. That began with people like Charles Davenport. And in fact, it even goes back to Britain with a, a guy by the name of Galton, who was a half-cousin to Charles Darwin, in which he coined the term eugenics and, and really tried to get it going in Britain. Didn't really take off, but it did in the U.S. and was actually federally funded in 32 states in the U.S. with a variety of different ways in which eugenics was implemented. And by the way, on this note, remember I said that we dehumanize in one of two ways, either treating somebody as an object or an animal. Now, I gave you an example of the way we do that lately with viewing a person as an object. In the past, and one of the things that we actually are seeing as well these days is treating a person as an animal, which was vividly demonstrated in the United States in 1906 when Oda Benga, a, a man from the Congo, was brought and put into the Bronx Zoo in New York and was displayed with an orangutan, which it was believed at that time and taught at the, the highest universities that uh, sub-Saharan Africans were, in fact, missing links. They were, they were animals, and then they were treated as such. And so the idea that a lot of people forget, and I'm coming back to this Nazi thing, yeah. is that, it, that with Charles Darwin, a lot of people forget that his book, Origin of Species, has a subtitle which is the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. And very much has this idea that evolution, you know, is taking place on that mindset within people, within the animals, right? That some then are going to be more well-born than others. That's where you get this eugenics idea, which was then just being put into practice in the United States. And ultimately, Hitler 
picked up on those ideas and just took them to their extreme in Nazi Germany. But I mean, he was inspired by the U.S. The foundation was already there. Already there. And so that gets back to this whole point that we've got to be so careful as we move forward that we have a keen eye on what's taken place in the past Mm -hmm. and that we understand clearly where we've made mistakes in the past as we move forward. And it's very easy to think, oh, it was just those crazy, you know, Nazis that got it wrong. No, 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 no. Like there's plenty of blame to go around for all of us. And what you begin to realize as you start to adjust your perspective on this is you start to realize where you and I make a lot of these same, you know, errors in our thinking all the time. Now, if I could say one thing that, you know, the viewers might find interesting and and something just to ponder, in my research as I've looked at uh, genocide and I've just looked at dehumanization, I've yet to see an example where people kill people. I've yet to see a historical example of it. What you find is that it's far too difficult for a person to kill another person. It's much more simple, though, if you dehumanize that other person and you equate them as an object or an animal, then it's very easy to do whatever you like to that person. Mm -hmm. This is the whole basis of the slave trade. People were never enslaving people. Again, there is no example of that historically. There's people enslaving animals, right, where they just, and that was, again, going back to Aristotle, they just didn't see those people as human beings. In their mind, it wasn't, they as people were not enslaving people. No. I mean, the reality is that they were, but in their mind, they were fully justified by the belief that this person is not as valuable. They're an animal. That's right. They're not not as evolved as you and I. Mm -hmm. Here's another one that might surprise people, because a lot of people think, oh, man, those Christians and their issues with evolution and, you know, going all the way back to the monkey scopes trial and going, you know, what is wrong with those Christians, you know? History often gets whitewashed, and I would encourage people, go back, read those primary sources and see for yourself what actually took place. And in those situations, what you see is that Christians had a problem with evolution that was not just some sort of scientific issue. It it fundamentally was also an issue of eugenics. And when you go back to, say, the Monkey Scopes trial and you see the textbooks that the Christians were speaking out against, these were incredibly racist textbooks that talked about how there was this hierarchy of human humanity and that the Europeans were, you know, at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. And so you see that, you know, one of the things that the Christians were fighting against was the dehumanization of evolution. And, and, and so it's interesting now, you know, that has been completely forgotten from the whole conversation. And, and those textbooks have been conveniently forgotten as well. But you can go and you can see for yourself the way people were viewing one another and treating each other because of that. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking in my mind right now as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about Jesus. Mm. Like how he embodied a completely cultural, different worldview. Like he fully had a kingdom mindset of, of heavenly perspective. And the, the class difference, he, he just cut right through it. You know, the woman at the well that he meets with in John 4, that's not a normal interaction, right? And people right. forget that, that Jesus actually met with a woman who was a Samaritan, and he was a male Jew. Like, now today we're like, oh, yeah, men and women, you know, hang out and all the time. Yeah, but it's so different then. And Jesus just completely does a countercultural thing there. That, that's a great example because that, that is a classic first century illustration of dehumanization. Samaritans were, were referred by the Jews as half-breeds. 
And they were viewed as half-breeds because during the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews were taken out of Israel into Babylon, uh, there were some that remained, some Jews that remained in the land, and they began to intermarry. And so they began to be despised. And as well, they also had different religious practices. They only held to the first five books of the Old Testament and believed that Mount Gerizim was the proper place of worship and not the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So think about that then with regards to Jesus. So he then is loving and caring for somebody who's being culturally dehumanized, you know, and he's taking a real risk in doing that with how that's going to look with other people as he loves and cares for her. But also he's loving and caring for somebody that he doesn't agree with. This is often forgotten. Jesus didn't agree with the Samaritans. He believed that they were wrong. But that didn't stop him from loving them. A lot of people in our culture have this bizarre, you know, problem that we've got to get straight. And that is that, that we can love people that we disagree with, that those two are, are not synonymous. You, you don't have to agree with somebody to love them. You know, it's, it's, it's you can passionately disagree with somebody and passionately love them at the same time. And Jesus is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people have a hard time connecting those two dots of like, okay, well, what does that look like for today? This is one of the things that I love about the church. I love about being a Christian is that we are called to be the church, you know, and that we don't have closed doors to different ethnicities and groups and disabilities. We are open doors to all people because under the Christian worldview, we are all one under Christ. There, there is no division that, you know, Jesus came in, Paul says this beautifully in Ephesians, to break down the walls of hostility that keep us from God and one another. And that this is a, a key component of the Christian tradition is to be a humanizing religion. And this is interesting because in Christianity, your humanity isn't based on what you can do. You know, it's not based on, you know, your ethnicity, your race, or, or any of those sorts of things. It is just simply based on your humanity. It is inherent. Your dignity, or that's another word for value, is inherent to being human. You were made in the image of God, as uh, Genesis tells us in 1, 26 and 27, both male and female, and you have value. And think about this for a second the value of humanity under Christianity that you see nowhere else. You and I naturally value a thing based on two criteria, who made it and what somebody's willing to pay. In Christianity, we have an interesting answer to that. You're made by God in his image, and how much is he willing to pay? Well, he, he sent his son, the incarnate God, God in the flesh, who lived and died for you. And Jesus says, listen, what's the most you can pay for something? You know, not a dollar amount. It's your life. And, and God demonstrated our value through his son's willingness to lay down his life for us. Mm. Uh, you know, we have incredible value in Christ. It, talk about humanizing. It just excites me. This is the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the questions that I'd, I'd like to direct us towards even now is how do we, you know, if we've grown up in this worldview or this perspective of, you know, we've taken science classes in high school and we're at university right now and we're we're wrestling with all these challenging thoughts and, and belief systems and value, you know, there are ideas that are challenging the way that we um, look at the foundations of belief. So how we believe others to be and how we believe ourselves to be. How do we then orient ourselves to a healthy perspective? Like what would be you know, a, a step in the right direction for someone to say, you know what, 
I'm going to practice this rhythm or I'm going to dig into this textbook or I'm going to you know, focus my time in this way or am I going to be in this type of community? How do we orient ourselves to having a healthy perspective on human value? Yeah, that, that's a great question. One of the reasons why I call this the human project is because you and I are the human project. You see, we can not only dehumanize other people, we can dehumanize ourselves. It, it goes both ways. And so one of the most important things for you and I to do as we begin to make sure that we have a clear perspective of our humanity and the humanity of other people is we, now this is interesting, you, we first need to get our view of God straight. Th- that's number one. And so I think it's interesting when Jesus is repeatedly asked, you know, what's the most important thing for me to know? He keeps going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, you know, soul, and strength, right? Like, that's a Hebraic way of saying love God with everything that it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. And, and this begins to change the way you see the world, because if you and I are made in the image of God, then the greater my view of God the greater my view of people that are made in his image. And so your view of God is the most important view that you have. It is the litmus test of humanization, right? And so this becomes an important aspect of Christianity, that we have a high view of God, thus we have a high view of people. So that starts to change the way that I see myself as I start to focus in on my love for the Lord. Now Jesus adds to the Shema, Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. The idea there being that as I become to see myself clearly through God, through Christ, then this begins to change the way that I not only see myself, it changes the way I see other people. I will begin to love what God loves, and God loves people. Now, if I could just put one last thing on there, maybe a little bow on that. The Apostle Paul says, he says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It is his desire to make everyone perfect in Christ. And this is such a, an interesting idea. The, the word perfect is the word for, uh, in Greek, that's off of the word telos or design, purpose, right? It's, it's the idea of when something fully accomplishes what it was designed to do, that's perfect. You know, you and I tend to have this idea that perfection is some un attainable ideal, you know, and, and that's just not the case. The goal here is that we would fulfill the purpose that we were created for. That's perfection. And what we see in Christ repeated continually is that the purpose of humanity, going back again to what I just said, is to love God and to love people, that we would be a community that is in relationship with God and one another, and, and that becomes inherently humanizing as we get our focus on Christ straight. Yeah, Andy, this has been great. I have learned lots from talking with you, and I'm excited to uh, continue on this relationship as we, in the future, have more time where we get to engage and discuss some of the important issues of our world and faith today. So, Andy, it's been great. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of In Doubt with Andy Steiger. You can follow Andy on Instagram at Andy Steiger. And for more information on Apologetics Canada, go to apologeticscanada.com. The annual Apologetics Canada conference is happening this March 1 and 2. And this year, the theme is freedom. And there will be very many different speakers who are going to be talking on different aspects of freedom in our lives. 
And in doubt, we'll actually have a booth there. So if you're in Abbotsford or surrounding areas, grab your ticket online at apologeticscanadaconference.com and come give me a visit. I'll be there and I would love to connect with you and stay connected with us for next week's episode as we talk with Chris Price, where I ask him some quick fire questions about our culture and how to live in faith in the midst of it. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.